This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, uh, really excellent ones. Uh, Hillary Mandel and Karen Brocken, if you don't know their names, um, you are impacted massively by the deals that they have worked on. Hillary Mandel is an executive vice president and head of media for the Americas for IMG, which is an Endeavor company. She's advised, consulted, and negotiated multiple billions of dollars worth of deals for IMG's portfolio. That includes pro sports teams, college conferences, U.S. international federations, part of deals for the Big Ten, Big 12, NWSL, NCAA. She's got a long and distinguished bio. Uh, I could go on. Karen Brocken is the co-head of WME Sports and an executive vice president at its parent company, Endeavor. As part of, or as the co-head, I should say, of WME Sports, Karen oversees their representation of athletes, including clients across every sport, the NFL, NBA, MLB, golf, soccer, um, Olympic, and action sports. Again, she, along with Hillary, um, has advised and consulted and negotiated these massive deals, including the latest deal that ESPN signed with the NCAA uh, that involves the women's basketball championships, women's college softball championships, women's volleyball, all the sports essentially except for men's college basketball and men's football. So these two women are really, really accomplished and exceptional at what they do. Their reputation in the business is, uh, is phenomenal. And, um, it's it's it was a great conversation, and I tried my best, at least within this, to offer some uh, some more broad stuff that people who are not uh, writing about this every day or who don't follow sort of the business of sports every day can sort of get a sense and understand what they do because they are major players when it comes to all the stuff that we see. So Karen Brockin and Hillary Mandel coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, um, I, I I am really really uh, excited to have these two women on. You most of the people who listen to this podcast will not know their names, but everyone in the business knows who these two are. They are major players behind the scenes. I will give them as best I can in terms of a bio, but then I one the first question I will ask them is to at least let the audience know what they do, which might not be the easiest questions for them to answer, but it's important for you to get that education. 
So Karen Brocken and Hillary Mandel are two of the most influential behind-the-scenes people in the sports media space. Um, Hillary is a executive vice president and head of Americas for media at IMG. Karen is the co-head of WME Sports and an EVP at its parent company, Endeavor. They've worked as advisors on an endless amount of media deals, including team deals, league deals. I'll give you one just for instance. For instance, at Wimbledon, they're part of the group that negotiates that extension with ESPN, ESPN Plus, the tennis channel. They advise the WNBA and NWSL on media strategy. They've assisted meteorites for the UFC in both the U.S. and Canada. The reason they are here, or at least the news hook that they're here, is regarding the latest NCAA deal in terms of uh, what they just negotiated regarding all of their championships outside, obviously, of men's football and men's basketball. So these are two women who are significantly accomplished. And again, I could do their bios. They have long ones. Um, but at some point, we do have to get the questions. And so I am pleased to be joined by Hillary Mandel and Karen Brock. And welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Hi, Richard. We're, we're happy to be with you. So I'm going to start with you, Hillary. Um, there are a lot of people here who are sort of layperson listeners. You know, they know who Joe Buck is. If Joe Buck is a guest, they know who, um, you know, Lisa Salters is if, if Lisa Salters is a guest. But they're not really going to be familiar with you and Karen unless they are in the business. So I'm wondering, and I want to ask you both from, if you could, to offer sort of a layperson explanation of what you do. Okay, Richard. Well, I'll take that one on. Karen will absolutely add to it. Um, and, and you said the key word. I mean, we're, we're happy people don't know what we do in many ways because we are really behind the scenes if you think about the sports business. And to some degree, I think that that's really important to do what we do. Um, so in the broadest sense, we are advisors and consultants for rights owners, right? IP, all the entities that you just named. And we effectively advise and consult and guide on essentially what is their most, um, you know, often the most important source of revenue and certainly growth, the distribution of their live rights. And, and while, you know, we're, we're, we spend a lot of time in the U.S., the world is also global now with some of the biggest players, so we have some expertise in that as well. But uh, overall, it's a very um, broad, uh, it, it's broad from the standpoint that we are uh, thinking about guiding, analyzing, and then advising this process, not just um, when you guys start reporting on it, which is when deals get close and get done, but many, many months, sometimes more than a year in advance, we've got really long relationships with our clients. You can go back because we really believe that in order to do that job, uh, you really have to plunge into the world of your client, really understand their business, and then marry that to an ever-changing media landscape, um, more so probably now in the last few years than maybe in the prior 15, um, and marry that all together to be able to, you know, guide, advise, and ultimately help conclude uh, a deal that's going to provide, you know, you know, kind of the, the pillars of their business, right? The revenue, the distribution that they need in order to uh, be successful and grow. It's a good, a good explanation, Hillary. Karen, do you want to add to that? 
Sure. I mean, I'll try to be super succinct. Um, my, for me, I mean, I'll talk personally, my business, I, I, in your introduction, you noted that I cover on WME Sports. That's the side of our business where we represent all of our athlete clients, our broadcasting clients, our coaching clients, our front office executives. Um, so I co-run that business, NFL, NBA, baseball, you know, tennis, golf, down the line. And then I partner with Hillary on the media advisory side. I joined the company having been on the media side, a better part of my career. And just to give you a sort of an example of how that works, when we represent the Minnesota Timberwolves, they are a client of ours. We're we're helping them and advising them on their local media rights. We're also helping them sell their NBA jersey patch. We also represent two of the top players on their team, including Anthony Edwards. We also represent Chris Finch, their head coach. That sort of gives you an example of how WME Sports works with clients. Same with the Big 12 Conference. We represented, we represent and represented the Big 12 Conference on their media deals last year with ESPN and Fox. We also represent a number of coaches, football and basketball side in WME Sports inside that conference. So I think that just sort of rounds out what Hillary explained and sort of how I layer in. So Hillary and I partner on the media side, and then I co-run the business where we're representing the talent side. And, and Richard, what I and that so that's great because I think you know you've talked to other executives from Endeavor. You follow what goes along. I think we're we're a flywheel unto ourselves. And if you think about what the proposition and Endeavor is and what we're delivering, it is not being siloed and understanding that this business is holistic and that there really are so many layers that connect. And our ability to do that, you know as we narrow into kind of the sports sector from a property standpoint, and then all the other buckets that Karen you know, laid out, we think that again, that's to our, it's to our client's advantage, right? I think that that is, you know, a little bit of a, our secret sauce too. Karen, I want to go back to you for a second. Um, mm-hmm. There, when you are representing, this is again, going to be sort of more of a philosophical question, then we'll get to some specifics. But when you are representing a client, obviously the, the client has something in mind. So let's take the Big 12 conference, for instance. Mm-hmm. They, what yeah. they have in mind is they they want their inventory to go to a, a media entity and they want a certain price point for that media entity. The media entities obviously have their own decisions to make in terms of do they want this product and how much would we, we be willing to pay for this product? So in terms of like when it comes – and this is kind of fascinating to me. On your end, on you and Hillary's end, there has to be analysis, like really deep analysis in terms of how do you figure out where we can find a place where these two different entities can meet, I, I guess in theory, right, and meet in the middle or meet at a place which works for both entities. So from your perspective, Karen – like what kind of research? Obviously, you're accomplished, so you've done these deals. So, in some ways, you rely on your own history. But every deal, I would think, is sort of unique to itself. So, how do you figure out what the research elements are to ultimately get to the the completion of the deal? Well, Richard, I'm actually really glad that you asked that because one of the things that Hillary and I face a lot of times is this misperception that we come in and we're just hired guns and we're selling, you know toasters. And we're just out there like just trying to drive to a a, a high price point. We do a tremendous amount of analysis before we hit the market. Um, A lot of data, a lot of churning numbers, viewership numbers, you know, 
you know, announce comps against other properties, cost per minute. Um, we we know about when we're dealing in the cable world and the retransmission world with broadcast. What what do the affiliate deals look like? What's the up potential upside there, depending on the property? So we jump in immediately and do a lot of analysis, a lot of landscaping. You know, when we get retained by the Big Twelve, we jump in immediately because that was on a very accelerated timeline, as you know, and it has been well reported. So we did you know, 24 seven analysis before we even started those conversations with ESPN and Fox, who were the incumbents there. But I would also tell you that we really pride ourselves, Hillary and, and myself, on being able to surround a property with really a lens that's 360. Hillary has spent the better part of her career on the sell side. Before I came to Endeavor, I was on the buy side. So I think we do understand how media partners model these deals. And we like to think that we what we add in the process with our clients and frankly, at the table with the media partners is an understanding of how they are analyzing the deal. Because if one side of the partnership has a number in mind, but it does not align to how that media partner analyzes and models, you're going to be at a stalemate real quick. And I think some of our success together has been that we come to it and we manage expectations. Like I think you can ask around, we grind as hard as anybody else, any, any of our counterparts, anybody on the media side of the table. We work hard, we grind hard, we drive hard, but we also understand the proposition on the buy side and the sell side. And I think we've landed over the course of, not just the last year, but the the years that we've been working together with very good results for our clients where both sides of the table feel like they really got the right deal. Did you want to add something, Hillary? You're shaking your head. Of course, yeah. When you get to it, it's a stereo system here, Richard. You're just going to have to have the left speaker and the right speaker for sure. Um, No, and I I stand behind everything that Karen said. She's right on. as, as good as you might want to make us look, and we like to, you just have to know we have a really strong team behind us. And this is uh, the an- analysis goes deep. Again, always trying to, you know, kind of explain to others that, you know, uh, two people kind of in a corner getting this done is, is one way to look at it. But if you want to bring a much more academic and scientific approach to this, you have to have great data. You have to have access to great data and you have to have great people helping you put that together. So we have a really strong team that works with us deal after deal. Second thing I would add to what Karen said is that we love the science part. It's really important. Important That is how you help a client manage you know, the marketplace to some degree to you know, some sense of a, a process. But we also know there's an art to this as well. And, and it's both. And, and that's where the marketplace itself, ultimately, as you know, Richard, we could put a price tag on anything. But if the market won't adhere to that number, if we can't get a buyer to step up, what good was that evaluation or appraisal? So the marriage of both of those things, understanding the landscape, understanding the buyer's you know, thinking at any given point, and marrying that with the deep analysis, again, we think helps Karen's point, manage expectations and and bring everybody along on the path of where we want to end. Hillary, before I get to um, the the, the NCAA deal, and I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows um, that women's basketball is really important to me. I covered it at Sports Illustrated uh, 
I think it's a phenomenal sport, and I'm just I'm I I'm invested in where it where it goes heading forward. And obviously, the deal that you guys were just part of is a massive one. But before that, I think what you guys really have your pulse on is sort of where the market is right now, like writ large for sports rights. You know, one of the things we sort of I think that people who are listening to this podcast they read is that okay, like the money's going to dry up for sports rights. Uh, expect finally the sort of sports rights bubble to burst, and then they'll read something to the effect of, "Oh, the NBA is looking to get double its rights fees, and so and they're looking to expand their rights portfolio by adding streamers and stuff." So, from your perspective, from you and Karen's perspective, like, what is real? I, I get like the economic forces will shape all this, but where right now is the market writ writ large when it comes to? the money for potential sports rights? Great question. We discuss it all the time. And, you know, I think we'll both have some good answers. I think one thing, one conclusion is that this is not a one size fits all market. This is not one statement that will apply across the board. What you could say, and, and I think you're seeing this play out to some degree, that the premium end of this marketplace, and maybe that's a derogatory world. Word. We'll just use the kind of maybe the broadest. You want to use uh, tier one you know, that a lot of people love to tier use? Tier one. Well, I feel bad for tier two and tier three, but <laughs> exactly. you understand what we're talking about. So, you know, there is this kind of tier one property, um, whether that's, you know, usually measured in audience and revenue that comes with that. Um, I would say, not, if anything, if you look at the rest of the entertainment marketplace and kind of where that viewership is going, where's live viewership going? Um, I happen to glance at this week's um, ranking of ratings for 2023. I in enjoy yourself and look at that and see that it takes getting to number what, 36 before you even find a non-sport programming on that Mace grid. Macy's Day Thanksgiving you. parade, I think. You and I, yep. That surprises a lot of people. And I think you have to go down a, a further and you find the Academy Awards. And I mean, I think that, and and certainly um, NFL and college football are, are dominating that. But if you go down to the second tier, you'll see that. So, I mean, long story short to say that um, the value of live sports today in some ways has never been greater. And the beneficiary of that is certainly the tier one sports who in so many ways are driving the, you know, the revenue and the audience for all of the sports media players today. So in understanding the market, I think, it is definitely figuring out where does your property fit into that ecosystem? And that comes back to managing expectations. And to say that if there's competition for tier one, that the dollars are not going to be there, I think is short-sighted and you're kind of going down the bubble bursting path and not understanding the business. I think that the danger zone and where this, you know, the headwinds are, are taking the businesses right now are clearly for the more niche properties and in a tier two to three position who have great attributes and, and fantastic passionate audiences. But in the, the it's harder for those do the dollars used to be there where you know the ESPNs of the world could buy anything and never thought twice. And and as long as it stood on its own two feet, it had an audience and it was well produced and so forth, it found a home. But I think that what you're seeing in you know economically right now just can't afford to, it, it, it's like, it's no, it's not personal, <laughs> it's business. And they just cannot afford to invest at the level that they were, which is requiring the lower tiered properties to get even more creative and think about how can they get around what has always been, you know, some license fee money that they could pick up in order to continue to invest in themselves and grow. 
So I, I think that the, the bubble burst piece, it, it's the industry is changing, but top tier properties, um, you know, that are, are well desired by all, um, as you can see, are, are still going to have, you know, pretty great results and, and, and see some really strong multiples and in investment. Karen, did you want to give your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, again, I don't want to go too long um, on this, but I, I think both can be true, Richard, to your question. I think to pull out a little bit, I think live sports is still an extraordinarily great buy, especially when you comp it against the cost of really top scripted content, right? I mean, we just had the Golden Globes. When you're when you're a network or even a you know an Amazon or an Apple or what have you, and you're deciding if you're going to buy a sports property or you're going to spend the money on a Succession or the Crown or the Bear. By the way, all shows that I obsessively watched and and love. That's expensive. Okay, that's an expensive proposition. So I think live sports continues to deliver on a comparative basis for all these media companies. It's just not everything is created equal. And you brought up the NBA. And I, I say at the outset, we don't represent the NBA, but we do. We are very invested in the NBA. We represent NBA teams and we represent a lot of NBA players. And there's no denying that the NBA numbers are incredibly strong, right? So their proposition in the marketplace or the proposition of college football, the numbers were incredibly strong, right? That can be true. And it can also be true that a, a, a property that is still on a slower trajectory, there's a place for it. It's just managing your expectation and understanding that it's not an endless sum of money. So to some extent, there is a little bit of a zero sum game sometimes, right? And I think that's where the analysis is important. The data is important. The advisory is, is important. But I do think you're seeing both. I think there's been some market contraction and you're still going to see the big dogs really driving to big numbers. And and thankfully, and I don't, I'm not trying to make a segue for you, but maybe you could jump on it if you want. One of the things we saw with the NCAA in that package was that was a very desirable package of rights in an area college sports and women's sports is a subset of that that has a very strong trajectory that so you saw the market respond at the same time, there is real market headwind, and I think both can be true. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's thank you for that. Uh, you're producing this. Good job, Karen. Hire you can hire me next. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for that. You'll see that in our check, Karen. Yes, thank you. yes. So the NCAA, for people who don't know, they signed an eight-year deal with ESPN. It covers forty NCAA championships domestically. The breakdown of that's twenty-one women's championships, nineteen men's events, uh, including the international rights. President of the NCAA, Charlie Baker, uh, put the number out. Uh, said the deal is worth one hundred fifteen million dollars annually. Runs through 2032, 
roughly three times the value of the current contract, which expires in 2024. So here's, Karen, what I want to get to you. Speculation long existed. You've already been asked this question, but I'm asking again, that the NCAA might break out the women's tournament. And um, there have been, there were stories out there, of course, that sort of placed a certain number on the women's tournament. People do their own independent research. They throw out their number. Um, I was someone just as, again, as a sort of a fan of the sport, I would have loved to have seen it go to market and then I'll be very blunt with the audience and then go back to ESPN, who I think far and away has helped grow this property and is the best steward for the property. I I just would have been interested to see what that number might've been. Um, because those of us who've covered for a long time, I think have always thought it's an undervalued asset and it's just interesting. It would be interesting to see what the real number would be. That said, the deal is done with ESPN. Um, so Karen, from your perspective, if you can, um, why was this the best decision for that specific property to not go to market and to stick with the incumbent? Um, well, okay, a couple things. Number number one, a lot of analysis was done on whether it should be state bundled, unbundled, and what did unbundling look like? Okay, that's sort of the objective scientific academic analysis. Then we, Hillary and I and our team, we we did have a lot of conversations. I think this concept of it didn't go to market, while that is true in a, you know, in the sense that we stayed in a window with ESPN and worked to finalize the deal, we had a very good sense of what the actual value was, not objectively, not academically. We did that analysis, but what the value has today to the other potential buyers. We we understood what that was. Okay. We did. We understand who was we understood who was interested in what and how much of the package or how little of the package. We had some sense of how you would have to puzzle this together, right? You've seen deals where there's three, four, five different partners and a property is puzzling to them together. If you had unbundled the women's tournament, I think you could assume that there was going to have to be some puzzling potentially with multiple partners. So we had a very good sense of what the market would support financially, what the production could look like. I think um, the 115 number does not include the investment in production. That is a separate event investment to the tune of many millions of dollars. We understood what the distribution could look like between, you know, comparing ESPN to another partner. Was it going to be broadcast? Was it going to be heavily distributed national cable? What the promotion was going to look like? What the ancillary programming was going to look like? The storytelling program around the tournament. And I think we can say with very, with no hesitation, that the deal that the NCA secured with ESPN was the best combination of financial deal, uh, production commitment, distribution obligations, and maximizing of distribution for that tournament, promotion and storytelling than any other comparable deal that was available in the market at this time. Taylor, you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably just more... Uh, uh, enhancing and highlighting. I mean, I think I, I, I almost throw the question back to you, Richard, you know, why did, why was it important for the, why would you have wanted to see what you saw go to market and then come back to SPN? The, I'll tell you why so I think I just, this, yeah, yeah we go back and forth. This is just, it. this is just me selfishly sure. I, I, because yeah. I think that property has always been undervalued and I would love to see my own 
I'll just be selfish. I would love to see my own instincts be confirmed that there has historically always been more interest in that property than maybe a lot of the sports public recognize. I say all that, that said, as someone who, again, who has covered in person many women's basketball championships, has seen the ESPN people all over the place grinding. Like, I am under no... Like, this is the place it had to end up, in my opinion, for the sport to continue its growth. But I would have loved to have seen just pie in the sky, what like an Amazon or an Apple or Netflix, whatever, someplace, if they just would have like rolled the dice and been like, you know what, we think this is like a massive mega sport of the future. Here's TK amount. Give it to all of us. Again, I'm not saying I would have thought that would be a smart idea. I just would have loved to have seen if if the numbers ever came out, I would have loved to have seen it. So that's my counter to you. So so here's the great part. Um, what we are trying to tell all, because we understand that curiosity, effectively, um, I think we feel very confident that in a analytical, conversational anal- analysis way, all of that happened and where it ended up is the right place. Not because we just said so, but go back to what you said in the beginning. Um, we, we pride, Karen and I absolutely will take, you know, credit in the fact that we stayed very close to this marketplace. And we think we really do not only understand um, or try to understand as best we can the businesses of our buyers, but, you know, the, the hypothetical, it, the what could be. And trust us <laughs> that all of that was absolutely taken into consideration and brought back. And while agreed, it would be cool if we could play the movie and show you kind of what went down or put the cameras behind the scenes, the the outcome. And, and you see that in the deal that was done because we did hold ESPN accountable for that, for women's basketball. And they will be in this new deal. All of the things that you just said, I think that was first and foremost in the conversation. And, and they knew just as we knew that the rest of the marketplace was standing there holding them accountable too, because, you know, what has happened is bigger than all of us and you've reported on it and, and it is a fact. So we are, we feel good that we've captured a lot of what you're speaking about in this deal. Yeah. And I don't, I, I should just let the audience know that again, and, and anybody who's read me at the athletic or side knows women's college volleyball and women's softball are also in the same position of just incredibly 100%. growth sports. Um, and college sports, just as an entity, um, is an incredible place to be. I know Karen is. Uh, I've read my SBJ profiles of you, Karen. You're like the apostle of uh, college sports, but you're correct, and you were ahead of the curve <laughs> on all this stuff in terms of interest. I want to ask you this, Karen. If you want to punt on this, though, you can. If it like if it's too much of a pain in the ass to answer, or it just gets you in trouble. That's fine. <laughs> oh my, no, I, I'm being honest. I'm totally respectful. <laughs> but okay. I don't get to talk. Right. I don't get to talk to people like you and Hillary every day. Do you have any thoughts as to why the Pac-12 could not get to a place where they could get a media deal where the conference could continue? I, I don't listen. I don't want to punt. You've been so generous to us and so you, you can though. I mean, if if, if I I get that you have a lot of interest in entities, but I would just say I think I can represent the sort of the average sports fan to say there's this conference that has great history. There's just these incredible schools here. And there had to be a way for some media entity to have partnered with them to continue the conference. Okay, let me 
Yeah, you know what, Richard? I let me answer it in a way that ties back to your last question because I actually think I can I can toggle them together potentially. First, let me say at the outset, I have two degrees from a Pac-12 institution, so I grew up in the Pac-12, and so the the, the what happened with the Pac-12 is personally bittersweet to me. I, I went to Cal. I'm a Cal Bear through and through. Um, I think that you know to my to our point. On sometimes it is a zero-sum game, and sometimes there is risk in rolling the dice in the marketplace, right? To your point on, I would have loved to have seen what the women's basketball tournament could have gotten, but then, these are your words, but then I really think it belonged at ESPN. Well, in that paradigm, there's always a risk that you go out and you go and you find out that the number isn't what the client wants or that the other things tying to that deal aren't as good. The distribution isn't as good. The production commitment isn't as good. And you go back to your original partner and the deal isn't there anymore. And I think to some extent, obviously I don't, we weren't in the room. We didn't represent the PAC 12. We were working with the big 12. I think some of that was true. And I think that there, the expectations were not aligned with the marketplace um, frankly, I, I, I'll answer it this way, Richard. We knew when we got hired by the Big 12 that there were real headwinds coming into this marketplace. There were other packages that were in play and that we needed to move and we needed to move very, very quickly. And we were moving with two parties that were also partnered with the Pac-12. And I think that the Pac-12 may have thought that there was more there. There was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and hence why they came out of the window. I think there was pressure on the team from the university side to do so. There might've been misaligned sort of um, narratives across the schools. I think it's very, very important when you're dealing with a college conference to try to have your full constituency aligned presidents, chancellors, athletic directors, even coaches on a number of campuses. And I think that can often end up with a great result. That can often end up if you don't have it with a very challenging result. Um, and that's, I guess that's my answer. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's well thought out. All right. I, I want to be respectful of your time. We're at 30 minutes. I'll get you out of here in the next five to seven. Hillary, I want, but I want you both to answer this uh, because this is a vital interest to sports fans. So we're taping this the day before Peacock has its first ever uh, streaming um, playoff game. The NFL basically sold for $110 million an NFL playoff game to Peacock. It's a really fascinating experiment to see how it plays out. Um, they have the Chiefs and the Dolphins. So you will be listening to this podcast after the game um, has happened. Let's hope something crazy doesn't happen so it doesn't change the content of this question. But I go to you, Hillary, because I think what a lot of um, a lot of consumers and a lot of fans are thinking, okay, is this sort of the beginning of like tier one kind of sports really going behind a paywall, becoming streaming only? If you have ESPN Plus and or if you're a college fan, you already know you're paying for some of this streaming stuff. If you're a soccer fan, you know, you, are, you have to have like, Paramount Plus or whatever to do it. But from your perspective, Hillary, like does does this signal anything bigger or is this just the NFL in a one-off or a two-off trying to create a little extra revenue for them? Like, how do you see it? 
Richard, um, first of all, great question. And, and I agree, all eyes on this weekend, just like a lot of eyes were on Thursday night football at the beginning of the season, right? Same, same, same. Um, no, we don't think it's a one-off. You know, we think this is where the world is heading. And we see, we've seen that in all of the conversations that we've been having, not just this year, I would say, you know, in the last 24 months. Um, and we're seeing it most importantly um, for many of our clients in some of the ratings they're getting, or we'll call it some of the numbers that they're already getting, you know, in that place. I mean, I know just as an example for Peacock, um, you know, we've all, we've represented uh, the Feld Motorsports package, which, you know, uh, it's the Supercross series. And we put them, we made a decision to go Peacock in the last deal, which was a year ago. And um, we just got numbers yesterday that are, absolutely beyond everybody's expectations. And we saw that growing. I mean, we're talking several hundred thousand, you know, numbers were on sports on NBC sports Network here and they have jumped. And, and that's before this wild coffee. And I'm, I'm talking a hundred percent absolutely up here, people spending time on there, et cetera. And, and you might say that's a little bit more of a niche example, but it's not from the standpoint that audiences are finding and coming, you know, in absolute comparable to what are, you know, network numbers. And that's over here. Now you take the NFL and the NBA and the Big Ten, which you'll also see and are seeing on Peacock. Um, so there's there's no doubt that um, all of the media companies, ESPN Plus as well, um, recognize that this, this is going to be a growing place where viewers consume content and sport. I, I think what we've been saying is, um, you know, it's also often reported as an either or, and I think, again, we see the world blend. And you're seeing that in deals, you know, where if you have multiple partners, you want to make sure some of your content is on a, in, in some sort of a digital platform. We don't just say streamers, right? It's like you want to be able to access that digitally. It's a fact that a very, you know, important segment of the audience has cut the cord and is not watching television the way they did. And if you want to find them again, you have to be there. And if you are a betting person and you think more people are going to go in that direction, then you really better be there. But what we see now is the fragmentation. And I think that you can't, it's, it can't be ignored and not to go down a rabbit hole. I mean, it's sort of what you've seen in the regional sports network business in terms of that fragmentation and coming back to, you know, yet again, a broader platform. So the specific answer to that is, not a one-off, an absolute strategy that is paying off and it's already paying off. And ESPN, again, we have a lot of uh, clients, uh, I'd say a lot of rights holders who also have content on ESPN Plus and same story, sharing data and the data is impressive and it's standing up to um, certainly, you know, uh, uh, programming that has been on, you know, some of the cable tiers that are definitely going backwards. So it's it's more than promising. It's there, and I think they'll continue to invest. All right, Karen, I'm going to give you the last word here just on just your sort of evaluation of what is a pretty big uh, – maybe experiment's the wrong word, but like what's a pretty big thing going on this weekend to see how this Peacock game does. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll pull back a little. I Feld is an IMG client, so I, I don't – I'm not as facile with the numbers on that. But I would tell you – I definitely don't think it's a one-off. I think you're going to see more and more. I mean, wild card weekend is as premier as it gets. And that is a, they're getting a great game, an important game. Can't, you know, a Kansas city chiefs game. 
Um, forget about Taylor Swift. They're getting a Kansas City play. Right. You know, they're getting play they're getting Taylor Kansas. Swift too. I think she'll be there. So they right. Uh, I mean, uh, I think you are right. You're going to see more and more of that. I think um, fans are getting more and more savvy and trained that it's not that hard to find it. It's not that hard to connect it to your TV. I will tell you, though, and, and maybe this is a good place to land. It also is relevant for properties, right? If you're going to go to the paywall, how many paywalls can your fan base absorb? Tying it back to the NCAA, Again, this just shows you how many issue, how many narratives we were addressing and how important it was to Jar- Charlie Baker and his constituency to really serve a very wide, diverse collegiate fan base. That doing the deal with ESPN meant that you had one paywall service. You have ESPN Plus. And so for your fans to be able to partic- you know, engage in any of those 48 championships, they're really only having to purchase ESPN plus in order to do that. That was important to the NCAA. That was an important variable. Others like the NFL or maybe you know the NBA behind it, the fan base can absorb more, but I definitely don't think it's a one-off. I don't, I, I'm not here to opine on how many of those services will ultimately survive or partner, but I, I think you're going to see more and more of it. I think it makes sense. The numbers are are heading that direction. And if you're an NFL fan, let alone a, a you know a fan of the Chiefs or the Dolphins, and you don't have Peacock, I imagine you're gonna you're gonna get it, or at least consider it. I agree. Or consider it. Hillary Mandel, so, or take a take a trial. Or t- yeah, right. This, That's true. Right. You know, do the trial. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we did. Yeah. Well, we'll bring you back to talk about churn down the road. Hillary Mandel is an executive vice president and head of media for the Americas for IMG, which is part of Endeavor Company. Um, she's advised, consulted, negotiated, and reading right from her bio, multiple billions of dollars worth of deals. Um, again, Google her, um, and it would be the same for Karen Brocken, who is co-head of WME Sports and an EVP at uh, Endeavor. And as Karen mentioned, uh, not only working with Hillary on these deals, but just oversees WME's representation of athletes. And that's clients essentially across every sport that people listening uh, follow. I can't thank you too enough. I I do respect and know that your time is valuable. And um, again, like, uh, you know, in the... I know, like, the part of the world and the deals that you guys have been part of. And, uh, you know, like, quote Hamilton, you guys are in the room when it happens. And, like, you're very, very big when it comes to comes to the world. So this has been great for me. I, I, I really appreciate your time. And uh, and I hope, uh, hope I can have you back down the road. Thanks so much for joining me to, uh, today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. You got it. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Hillary and Karen. That was excellent. Uh, I appreciate their time. Uh, appreciate Endeavor setting that up uh, as well. And um, if you like these kind of podcasts, head to the archives. And um, should be some stuff you will find interesting. I mean, man, has it been a crazy week at ESPN. Dear Lord. ESPN author James Andrew Miller came on this podcast January 9th to talk about uh, Pat McAfee. Um and the, that never-ending story regarding McAfee and Norby Williamson and Aaron Rodgers. So check that out. Prior to prior to Jim, we had Bill Bunnell and Jimmy Platt, producer and director of the national championship game for ESPN. They, it was really interesting. They sort of give, give some insight into to how a national championship comes together. For that, Hubie Brown, of course, the Hall of Fame analyst, had Richie Zients and Rich Russo. 
Uh, they are the Fox NFL producer and Fox NFL director. They do the Burkhart Olsen uh, uh, games, and they were on to uh, discuss uh, their production. So again, uh, head to the archives. There should be Ernie Johnson was on this podcast not too long ago. Laura Rutledge. There should be some people and guests that you will find interesting. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. I want to thank uh, everybody in the listening audience uh, for uh, for tuning this podcast in. Happy 2024, and uh, we're back and uh, underway. And I hope to provide uh, some interesting content for you as uh, we head forward. It's been the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>